Here we go in three, two, and one. Well, it's football season. How do I know? Because Hawk Blogger is with us here. It's the weekly Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. And I tell you what, we sure appreciate you guys coming back. Uh, you didn't have to. And we appreciate everybody who downloads this every week and listens to a little Seahawk chatter between two guys who just flat out love Seahawk football, hoping for uh, maybe a uh, you know a bit of a surprising season in 2018. A lot of naysayers out there, but we'll get to all that in a moment. Right now, though, it's our buddy from HawkBlogger.com. Unflinching, I believe he calls it, Seahawk analysis, and it's always free at HawkBlogger.com. Joining us right now on the HawkBlogger softy podcast what's happening big boy oh man it's uh, the start of a new year man it's a uh, it's a season of renewal right uh yes. happy to be back with you i love it i love it i love it i can't wait for sunday fired up for the game against denver and i i, I actually said this on the show the other day i love the way the husky seahawks schedule plays out this weekend because the dogs are playing north dakota they're playing a nobody so all of my attention all of my emotion as a, as a fan can get sucked up by the seahawk game on sunday but why don't we just start there with what we were just talking about? You know, a lot of doom and gloom by some people in the national media predicted. Even Vegas has these guys as a, as a big-time long shot to make the playoffs in 2018. Uh, how do we feel about the prospects for the Seahawks this, uh, this coming season starting Sunday? Well, I know how you feel because I saw a tweet from you last night, I believe, that said, screw it. Forget them making the playoffs. I have the Seahawks winning the division. Yes, that, and, I, that right? and I was totally sober when I said that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm not as optimistic as all that. Uh, you know, I think, I think that uh, Seattle's got – they've got more upside than the national media sees for sure. But if you look at their – if you look at this team and you look at the depth, there, there are real question marks um, below the surface. And – Look, Softy, it's absolutely – forget injuries. Like, set that aside. Just just um, healthy Seahawks. The win range for this team could very easily be between, you know, 6 and 11. Like, it's a pretty wide range, yep. even if for taking injuries out of it. So, there's a lot of 50-50 games. Even this weekend is a tough call. We can talk about that more in a second. Uh, in Chicago next week – on Monday night, that's a tough call. These seem like games you, you'd think you could win, but they could really go either way. Yep. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting year to see if they can really start to form this team around what's honestly going to be a better offense than a defense. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, just going back to the optimism, I mean, I, I just kind of, I guess, got to a point last night where, look, the, there's, there's reason to have hope until there's not, right? And right now, yeah. everybody's 0-0, obviously. Thanks, Einstein, for that incredible report. Um, but there's, uh, there's no reason not to have hope until hope is lost. And I guess if these guys come out of the gate 1-5 or 2-6 in the first half of the year, then maybe you start to wonder and start to kind of realize that, hey, this ain't going to be their year. But as you said, the Chicago-Denver game, games like the Dallas game, it kind of feels like for the most part, uh, at least on the schedule right now, I haven't gone game by game with this philosophy over a fine-tooth but it kind of feels like every game is really a 50-50 proposition, okay? So, look, if, if, if the Seahawks get the kind of quarterback play that we think they're going to get, and if they get the kind of running game that we think they're going to get, maybe that'll bump it to a 55-45. Maybe they end up winning 9-10 games this year. 
Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about where there's upside to this team, where there could be surprises that people aren't expecting, at least nationally. And the, the first one for me absolutely is Chris Carson. Yeah. I, think, I think that he could be a star. I think he could be one of the best running backs in the game. I think he can be a Pro Bowl-level player. I, I, I really do believe he's got that in him. And I don't think a lot of people nationally really know that. And I, I think that also Brian Schottenheimer's offense People don't know what to necessarily expect. Everyone's got these expectations based off of him having, you know, Chad Pennington or whoever he's had, Mark, uh, Mark Sanchez, uh, you know, some guys uh, in other places. He had Austin Davis. You know, he hasn't had a Russell Wilson yet. Right. And I think he spent a lot of time studying what's working. And um, I actually had Jake Heaps on a, a different show I was doing before, and he's pretty high on what he's seeing. You're, you're hearing from Brandon Marshall yesterday that he he's speaking really highly of Schottenheimer, um, of what he thinks he's going to bring to, to the offense. Yep, yep. There's going to be some unexpected upside there. And then I think the receiver core, there's some really interesting players there that we just don't know, Brandon Marshall being one of them. Uh, I, I think Jerron Brown is, is another. And then the offensive line, for God's sakes, I can't believe I'm saying it, but Dave, the offensive line – might be better than a lot of the teams they play this year. Mm -hmm. I think it's starting this week. I think they're better than the, the Broncos offensive line. Okay. You threw out like 19 things there. Okay. So let me go back to number one. I'm excited. What I you know you are. Do, and I love you for that. Uh, but let's go back to Chris Carson for a second. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think it's realistic to think that Chris Carson could average 75 yards a game rushing? Yeah. Okay. If he does that, he runs for 1200 yards. You know how many yeah. running backs in the NFL ran for 1,200 yards last year? Tell me. Three. Okay? Three. So if Chris Carson runs for 75 yards a game based on, based on last year's numbers, he's a top three or four running back by, yards, by total yards in the NFL. That, I mean, that, yeah. again, when you 62 yards a game, 66 yards a game, whatever it is, is a 1,000-yard season. There's no reason that Chris Carson cannot be, you know, a 75, 9,500-yard guy pretty much every single week, especially if they give him the ball as much as they're talking about giving it to him. And I think he deserves the ball right now 20-plus times a game. Well, that's just on the ground, Dave. Yes. I mean, he's, yes. he, he's, he's a threat uh, in the air, and it looks like Schottenheimer is going to be more willing and, and eager to involve the running backs in the passing game. And yeah. having, having Carson, who's a great receiver, be able to, to take the ball on the side. We saw him do it in the Minnesota preseason game. He made Eric Kendricks look foolish, right? right and so, right. you know, this guy's a weapon. And I, I got some flack on social media, like everybody does. But I, you look at a lot of his measurables, and, and I, when I see him run, he reminds me of David Johnson. He's not quite as fast or quite as shifty, but from a receiving and running perspective and the size he brings, you know, if, if, if I told you today that David Johnson was in the backfield, would that change your opinion of, of the Seahawks yeah. offense? I, I saw I that. I saw that tweet you made, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Only, I mean, look, the only difference is David Johnson has done it over the course of a year. Chris Carson That's hasn't right. done that yet. That's right. That's, that's the right. difference. So that, that's where there's upside. He's got a lot to prove, but, but you know, it's nice to have, have hope in, in that area where, you know, in the last couple of years it's been yeah. pretty dismal. No question. Uh, and they got to get back to that point. I think all of us agree that the, uh, if, if Pete Carroll is going to 
rebuild this thing into a Super Bowl contender, perennial playoff team. They've got to start on offense with the run. Uh, the three guys, by the way, who ran for 1,200-plus were Kareem Hunt, Todd Gurley, and Le'Veon Bell. That's it. So, again, Chris Carson averages 75 yards a game, uh, and he's going to be in the top five in rushing likely in the NFL. And you mentioned Brian Schottenheimer. I haven't had a chance yet to talk to Brian uh, outside of the press conference setting, of course. And one thing I'm curious about with this guy, go back and look at when he was the quarterback's coach in San Diego with Drew Brees. And look at the jump that Drew Brees took when Brian Schottenheimer showed up and the numbers and the completion percentage and the yards per attempt. I only bring that up because, let's face it, there's not many guys in the NFL of Russell Wilson's stature, of course, physically, and Drew Brees is one of them. And this is a guy in Brian Schottenheimer as a coordinator, excuse me, as a quarterback coach, which he is the quarterback coach as well as the coordinator and the play caller. As the quarterback coach in San Diego, he was there when Drew Brees took that next step and became a superstar. And I'm just wondering if there's anything that Brian Schottenheimer saw when he was in San Diego with Drew Brees that he can use and have it translate to Russell Wilson's game. I'm sure. And and Drew Brees speaks incredibly highly of Brian Schottenheimer. And uh, when I look at Russell Wilson, I mean, we already know he's a top five quarterback. He was in the MVP conversation last year. But, you know, you and I both know. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus because, you know, no one needs the negativity. But uh, when people say that Russell hasn't really been coached yet at the NFL level, I don't think I don't see that as a knock on Russell. I see it as this is the first year, you know, Daryl Bevel wasn't in the quarterback room. You know, he was the offensive coordinator. And and they now have Brian Schottenheimer, who's hands-on with Russell. And Russell, I think, is is open to that. And, you know, Pete Carroll's talked about it. He, he wants to learn. He wants to be pushed. And if you can take a good player or a great player and make him better, even a even a 5% bump in Russell Wilson's performance yeah. would have significantly greater impact than almost any other change you can make to the team. So uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I think he looks as good as he's ever looked. And, and I'm really eager to see with a six foot three Jerron Brown and a right. six foot five Brandon Marshall and right. a health, you know, getting towards healthy Doug Baldwin and a healthy Tyler Lockett. You know, it could be an interesting year for, for Russell Wilson. Well, the Lockett thing to me, and again, uh, Softy and Hawk blogger Brian Nemhauser, obviously on the Softy and Hawk blogger bod- uh, podcast, to be pretty weird if it were somebody else, uh, two other guys doing the Softy Hawk blogger podcast. So I'm glad to know that <laughs> it is you on the phone with me and that my, I, I am indeed Softy. Um, the Lockett thing is interesting because Dick and I got into an argument, uh, a conversation of uh, about a week ago, two weeks ago, when the Hawks gave him his contract. And I said, look, you've got a situation. I don't have the exact numbers written down in front of me. You may have them, Brian, where you lost over the offseason 200-plus targets walked out that door in free agency, including Jimmy mm-hmm. Graham and Paul Richardson. So mm-hmm. some somebody's getting those targets, right? Those numbers are going to somebody. Somebody is going to collect 25, 30 more targets potentially than they did a year ago. And I think the guy that they want those targets to go to is Tyler Lockett. And I think if you sign him now, you might be saving money. I mean, Brian, think of the money that Richardson got in free agency from the Redskins, right? Ridiculous yeah. money for, for what he did or did not do in Seattle. If you wait and Lockett's targets go up and he has a 100-target season and he catches 65, 70 balls with a, you know 900,000 yards worth of receiving yards, whatever you just gave him, you're paying more next offseason. So if you are going to get Tyler Lockett more involved in the offense and you want those targets to go up exponentially, then you may as well sign the guy right now and save some money. Yeah, I mean, people react to the, the, the numbers, you know, $10 million or whatever it is a year. And 
I agree. That sounds like a lot of money for, for what Lockett has done so far. I think people don't take into account where the cap is, and, and you're going to see a lot more people talking about right. percentage of cap when they're talking about these contracts. And that's really equivalent as a cap you know, goes up, and it's gone up a lot. It's really equivalent of like a seven to eight million dollar contact contract from a few years ago, or six to seven maybe even. And I think that we're going to see in the off season that that that's going to have been a really smart deal. I'm I've been high on Tyler Lockett. I think last year he played less than 100 percent for sure. He yep. was not the same yep. player. I think he's going to be back. I think he looks like he's got his quickness back. I think that people they look at Tyler Lockett and they see a guy that's not that big, uh, and and they just have questions. But Look, Doug Baldwin is not that big either. He's been the best Seahawks uh, receiver and a top 10 receiver in this game now. Right. And it's about separation and route running. And, and Tyler Lockett, can, as far as I'm concerned, he can do a lot more than Paul Richardson can do. Paul Richardson had a few things he did really well. Oh, yeah. I wish him yeah. well, but I'd rather have a receiver like Tyler Lockett than I have a receiver like Paul Richardson. I agree with you a thousand percent. And by the way, this is not going to be a fun podcast if we keep agreeing with each other. Okay. So at some point, we got to start fighting on the air. But. Well, look, everybody's upset about, you know, negativity, negative articles out there from things three years ago. So we, yeah. we got to bring yeah. some of the positivity to the, to the Seahawks. Twitter and, world. And we'll talk about that in a second. You're talking about the SI article, the MMQB piece, uh, which is, uh, you know, just a lot of old stuff getting rehashed, I think. Yep. It might be one portion I, I kind of think might be a little bit new. But let, let's go back to Lockett for a second and the comparison between him and Paul Richardson. You know, Tyler Lockett, when I imagine Tyler Lockett at his best, I imagine him in space. I imagine him flying across the middle with a head of steam and outrunning a linebacker or a safety to the end zone. When I imagine Paul Richardson doing that, I imagine Paul Richardson getting broken half by a safety because <laughs> the guy weighs 115 pounds. So I'm, I'm with uh-huh. you a thousand percent on the Lockett-Richardson comparison. But let's, uh, let's go to the offensive line because you mentioned that in your little opening soliloquy there about how the offensive line could be better than most defensive lines the Seahawks play this season. You know, I, uh, I wonder about it uh, from one perspective. DJ Fluker, Jermaine Effetti, that right side, I think, I think Posick, I think Britt, I think Brown, I'm pretty good with. You know, look, there's, there's too many concerns on the right side to be that freaked out about the left side. I don't have it in my brain to be that freaked out about the left side concerning considering uh, how, uh, how many question marks there are on the opposite side of the offensive line. But DJ Fluker, man, I'm watching him in, uh, in training camp, and it's painful. It, I mean, it's painful watching him stand up, Brian, the guy looks like he needs a walker for crying out loud. Now he's hurt, may not play in the game on Sunday, which means JR may get the start against Denver. And then Jermaine Effetti, it seems like ever since Carroll ripped him a new ass in the uh, scrimmage in, uh, in camp about a month ago when he was jumping off sides, that he kind of has maybe woken up a little bit. But still, Jermaine Effetti seems to be walking on thin ice and could be maybe a snap or two away from getting replaced by George Fan. What's your take on that right side of the offensive line? Well, <laughs> I've heard you're not the only one that's talked about DJ Fluker and that he, he looks like he's dragging his, his leg along with him. I'll tell you what, dude. He, he looks to me like he has to go to the bathroom every time I see him. <laughs> Seriously. That's well, the only way I can describe it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, hasn't, it has not jumped out to me as much to others. I've, I've liked what I've seen from DJ Fluker on the field. I think he's, he's been a, a mover of, of, of men uh, in the run game, I think. We know what he is. He's a big dude that pushes people around, but not that great in the past and pass pro. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not down on DJ Fluker. I'm also pretty happy that they've got a guy like J.R. Sweezy there to to step in, who might end up Wally Pippen him and and taking that role because yeah. 
you know, he owned that role for a number of years for the Seahawks. And, and so I think that, that that's going to be okay. And I also think, you know, on the Jermaine Fetty side, same kind of thing. Like, I'm not particularly high on Jermaine Fetty. I think there's some things he does better than people realize because he does one thing really badly, and that's pass protection. Yeah. Um, but if he really is just getting his lunch eaten on Sunday against Von Miller. Now, wait a minute. You said a, you said a Fetty is bad at pass protection. You know who else is subpar at, at pass protection is DJ Fluker. You're telling right. me that you feel good about both those guys being out there on third and eight if it happens like that? Well, this is all relative, dude. So you're talking about Ode- relative, relative Ode- to what? To who they're playing Ode- or what they Ode- looked like a year and ago? Jokel yeah, and yeah. you know, like yeah, I would rather have DJ Fluker or JR Sweezy out there than Ode Abushi. Hundred percent. Right. Okay, no great. question. I, and you know what? I'd I'd rather be four foot one than three foot nine. I mean, come on, dude. <laughs> At some point, the standard is supposed to be the Super Bowl, right? The standard is supposed to be a playoff caliber offensive line. Do they have one right now? He was a right guard for multiple Super Bowl teams. Don't tell me about that. Four years ago. It was a right tackle for a Super Bowl team. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And here's where the disagreement starts to come in. This is where we have some fun now. You're telling me J.R. Sweezy was a starting guard for a two-time Super Bowl team. And you're exactly right. Number one, that was four years ago. And number two, why was J.R. Sweezy let go by Tampa Bay? Because they paid him a crap ton of money. And the Seahawks only had so much to go around. So... Yeah, you could argue way bigger question to me is why you trade a Max Unger, who is the core of that line for a Jimmy Graham and completely change the, the, the face of your team and what you emphasize going from physical to finesse. So that's a far bigger issue to me than letting J.R. Sweezy walk. Yeah, I just I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just think about the Seahawks and their next real legitimate playoff team that is, is going to stay in the postseason conversation for hopefully three or four or five years the way this one did. And I, I don't see that offensive line here yet. You know, I think there's a reason why DJ Fluker was available. There's a reason why J.R. Sweezy was available. All right. Uh, I think we have to kind of remember that. I mean, obviously, we have our Seahawks glasses on. You want to focus on the positives. And I, 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 I love that. And I think it's a great attitude to have. But there's a reason why these guys were available, Brian. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, I don't think it's a positive. I think it's a matter of being realistic. I, I, look at look at the Seahawks offensive lines that went to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Those weren't great offensive lines either. So yeah, at those at those periods of times, you had an all world defense. So yeah. that was a key part yeah. of what made those. I think that's as much of a thing that's a that's a much bigger gap. Um, if, you, if you told me what's the gap between the Seahawks defense in 2013 and 14 and this one, right. oh, and yeah. the gap between oh, yeah. the Seahawks offensive line in 2013 and 14, this one, there's no question defense, that it's the sure. defense that yes. has a major yes. gap. Well, and, that, and so, that, that, by the way, that offensive line in 2013, who had the highest paid offensive line in football in 2013? Seahawks, that has nothing yeah. to do with yeah. quality, Dave. I mean, you still well, had J.R. Sweezy and you still had, you know, Paul McQuiston taking snaps that sure, year. But you People also had Max Sung. You also had Russell Okung. Look, I mean, I, I'm with you. You can overpay for bad offensive linemen, but the more you pay, the better the odds are you're going to have better talent there. I think we all agree on that. But I, but you know what? I'm with you a thousand percent on the defense. Look at the depth, dude. Look at the backups on the defensive line uh, now compared to 2013. Yeah, it's interesting. I see it a little differently than a depth issue on defensive line. To me, it's the ceiling. So Frank Clark is the guy that has a high ceiling, and maybe he can get – he's already done double sacks. Maybe he can do that again. I think the rest of the defensive linemen are kind of in a big – 
chunk to me. Like they don't they don't necessarily stand out from one another. What's the difference between Nas Green, you know, Nas Jones and Jaron Reed and you know Shamar Steven and Tom Johnson? Like how is one of them really that much better than the other? You know, Reed is definitely stepped up last year, but he's not a star yet. Uh, I don't think we know what we have in Deion Jordan. Yeah. Is he going to even make it through a game? Is yeah. he going to be an impact player? You know, Rasheem Green, I think, is a good young player. But I think they've got a lot of quality players on the defensive line. So it's not a depth issue to me on defensive line. It's just how much upside is there? Are there guys that are going to really, like, step up and, and be a real problem for the offense? That I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, again, I, w- I would disagree a little bit. I think I think the depth, you know, what I'm talking about is guys that may have a chance to be stars sitting behind Quentin Jefferson, sitting behind Frank Clark, maybe sitting behind a guy like Rasheem Green. And I, I just, I, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's unfair to expect that after what they had in 2013. Hell, we may never see depth like that ever again on, on the defensive line. When you have a defensive line where Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett are backups, for God's sakes, I think it's almost ludicrous to expect to see that kind of depth. Uh, that, that may have been once-in-a-generation depth on that defensive line and once-in-a-generation depth in the secondary, right? I mean, think of the guys that were backups sure. on that team that became yeah. starters around the NFL and now Dante Johnson's banged up, and he and he may not play on Sunday. We're talking about potentially deal. seeing Nico Thorpe and Shaq Griffin out there together with Earl Thomas and Bradley McDougald, and Earl just got here two days ago. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Actually, I don't think we're actually saying different things on the defensive line. We're just saying it differently. And, and yeah, this, the cornerback in the secondary. Look, Dave, here, here's the challenge on the defense, right? You've got a really questionable pass rush. And you've got a really questionable set of, you know, depth in cornerback. And you got really questionable, you know, well, safeties are getting better now. You got Earl Thomas back. But in general, you got a questionable secondary and a questionable pass rush. You know what that equals? Questions. A lot of, a lot of chances for the pass <laughs> to be a real problem for the Seahawks. Yeah. So, so that, that's going to be tough. And part of the reason I think Russell Wilson, if you, you're a fantasy football guy, you grab him this year is, What's what's Russell Wilson done in games where he's been trailing, you know, by 10 points, 15 points, and had to score a bunch late? His numbers are huge. I think he could have a number of games like that this year where Pete Carroll's going to have to open it up and let him pass the ball around the field. And yeah. I, I think he's got some some playmakers to to do even better than he's done in in, in recent years. Well, you know, I, I, look, you 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 play to your strengths, right, uh, every week. And what what are this team's strengths right now? Well. I think they're Doug Baldwin. I think that they're Russell Wilson on the ground. I think they're Chris Carson on the ground. And I think that it's your linebacker core with K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner and now obviously your deep safety uh, with Earl Thomas. I mean, to me, that's the strength. So on offense, if I'm if I'm calling a game for the Seahawks right now, um, I'm acting like Russell Wilson's 25 years old. And, and I'm, I'm bringing back the option, and I'm letting Russell Wilson run wild. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, the run-pass option, definitely I'm kind of interested why that hasn't been something we've seen. Maybe we'll see them break it out in the, in the regular season. But, yeah, this, this, is, this is Russell Wilson's team for sure, and it's going to be a chance for him to, to showcase yep. what he's yep. got. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I'm curious, going into this year, where's your head at in terms of, of what's most likely win total for this team? I think the most likely win total is 9-7. and seven. Likely. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly where I am. We're right. agreeing again. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that puts them in a position to maybe push for a playoff spot. We'll sure. see how sure. things go. Yeah, I but mean, if they're if they're nine and seven, come week sixteen, so two weeks to go, right in the regular season, 
If they're 9-7, and seven, then you'll be able to paint a picture. It may be a long shot, but you can paint one that gets the Hawks to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, look, I think that's a hell of an accomplishment, dude. I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but if you're telling me that you lost Jimmy Graham, which is 10 touchdowns walking out the door, you lost Paul Richardson, you lost Cam Chancellor, you lost Richard Sherman, you lost Michael Bennett, and you lost Cliff Averill. And you're going to go 9-7 and seven and have the same record you did the year before and likely have injuries because everybody has injuries? To me, that's, that's a job well done by Pete Carroll. Yeah, and, and let's be honest. This year is not going to be judged by record, at least yeah. by, not by yeah. me. Yeah. It is going to be judged by how the young players, the next generation of Seahawks do. And how they look, how how the offense looks with a new def- a new offensive coordinator. Is it going to be something that Russell can really reach his next level of performance with? Do they have a plan? Do they have the next crop coming through? How does Rasheem Green play? How does Sha- Shaquem Griffin play? Uh, can Shaquille Griffin take the next step from being a good cover corner to being a guy that actually makes interceptions and dif- difference-making plays? Yep. Can this offensive line start to solidify? And you know, those are the things that are going to really matter because, look. There's almost no situation I can see where the Seahawks are a championship Super Bowl contender this year. I, even in the most optimistic view, I don't yeah. see that. Yeah. So that, it's just about do you have the parts in place to start building toward that? Yep. yep. Um, Agreed. That, that's what this year's going to be judged on. Yes, I, I, uh, I want, the, uh, I want the, uh, the pillars of the next great championship team to start growing out of the ground in 2018. Uh, that's what I'm looking for right now. Hey, before you go, the MMQB article by Robert Klemko on SI which basically is just a lot of stuff that we knew already. You know, hey, there's some players that are jealous of Russell Wilson. They don't like the relationship between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll protects Russell Wilson, doesn't criticize him as much as he criticizes other players on the team. Uh, I think we knew all that stuff. The one thing that did jump out to me, though, here, Brian, is the portion where it talks about Russell Wilson being a snitch and going to Pete Carroll <laughs> with things the players would talk about. Um, I, I, I really hope that's not true, man. Don't you? Uh, I don't know. I hate the whole topic, to be honest. I mean, oh, come on, you love it. Get out of here, you love it. I don't know. I mean, look, I think there's a potential for this to be a completely different reality than the way the story is being told. I mean, I think none of us know really what's going on on there, and so, yeah, from a from a you know sports radio, we could just talk shit uh, perspective, fine. (laughs) But but like, look. Who's, who's Pete Carroll? He's a guy that only sees the positive, who always talks about what P, the potential is. And it's not that he had a different rule for Russell Wilson, no matter what people said. That's not my perspective. I believe that, look, he had different rules for Marshawn Lynch. He sure. Had, he, he, Michael he Bennett. Had, yes. He had what he sees is the potential in people. Right. And he talks about, he coaches people. Even heard, I talked to, when I talked to Jake Heaps, he said, I loved about this coaching staff that they teach, they don't critique right? They teach, they don't critique. What does that mean? Russell Wilson's not going to be held as accountable as maybe some of the defensive players wanted. They held each other accountable in a way that maybe wasn't happening on the other side. And don't you think, don't you think that different positions demand a different approach when you're talking about defensive line, defensive end, strong safety, offensive line versus quarterback? I mean, you've been to practice. You watch the way Tom Cable talks to the offensive line. Is that the exact same way that offensive coordinators talk to quarterbacks? Of course not. Right. And yes, of course, I agree with that. And and I just add, Richard Sherman, 
blew up on the sidelines. He did, you know, something I think pretty selfish at the end of the NFC Championship in the against the 49ers took the took the attention away from the team and made it about himself there. I love Richard Sherman. I, I'm a huge Richard Sherman fan. But Pete Carroll also said glowing things about him after. He's not a disciplinarian. He's not a hold-the-guys-accountable kind of coach. That's just not who he is. So, you know, I think part of this is just interesting to watch. Pete's got a philosophy he believes is, you know, a winning philosophy. I think it's it's being tested. It's yeah. really being tested yeah. in the NFL. And I think that – he needs to really be true to his competition philosophy, and that's right. the one that right. hasn't always rung true. If he, if he really holds himself accountable, himself accountable on that, I think the rest of this stuff starts to work itself out. Let me ask you this flat out before you go, okay? The next time the Seahawks are in the Super Bowl, is Pete Carroll the head coach? No. Got it. No. Okay. Do you feel differently? Uh, no, because I think that's very, very tough to do. Very, very difficult to to get there and then to tear it down for the most part, almost all the way, except you have the quarterback and then build it back up and still be around for that uh, end result. I, I, I think that's almost unheard of in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Who you got this weekend? I got I, I, I got the Hawks. I think they pulled mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I just I, I'm just not a big fan of Case Keenum. I thought Case Keenum, you know, he uh, he was helped a lot by what he had in Minnesota. And uh, I, I love the fact, as Holmgren said yesterday, that they're going down there and they're facing a guy making his first start in a brand-new offense. Yeah, and I'll tell you before we go, that offensive line for the Broncos is not good. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. don't be at all surprised if Ken Norton sends his favorite linebackers yeah. on a number of blitzes yep. early on and really brings the heat. I, I'm hoping that we see a lot of pressure applied to what I think is a really right. bad offensive line. Well, his favorite linebacker is Malcolm Smith, and he's in San Francisco, so he's not going anywhere <laughs> against Denver. Hey, Brian, you're the man. This will be fun to do again, fired up to do this every week, and uh, we'll pick it up next week before the Bear game, man. Appreciate this, dude. All right, thanks, Dave. All right, Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Check him out on Twitter, at Hawk Blogger, on the web at hawkblogger.com. We'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. All right, man, good stuff. All right, thanks. Take care, man. You want me to email that to you again like last year? That'd be great. Got it, buddy. See ya. All right, bye.